Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Heights Baptist, where every Sunday is Super Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little cheesy. You can take that cheese home and use it at your Super Bowl party tonight, okay? So, hey, interesting thing going on here. I don't know for how long, but I, my guess would be like for three decades, the NFL has played a 16-game season, and this year they added a game, and that has now moved the Super Bowl to the second Sunday in February, which means quite often the Super Bowl is going to be right on top of Valentine's. Gosh, thanks, guys. Did anybody in the room think through that? And maybe a little conflict of, of interest? Now, I know here we all do such a great job of taking care of our special Valentine day in and day out. We, we don't need a special day to prove our love, do we? No, not at all. I'd use the special day if I were you, just... That would be my bit of advice. Hey, on this Valentine weekend, today we're going to look at a, a wonderful and extravagant and a lavish display of love for the great object of our love, Jesus Christ. Would you look with me this morning at John chapter 12? John chapter 12. If you've got a Bible app or you're thumbing through your Bible, you're going to find uh, Mark and Luke and then you'll be in John, and then it'll be into Acts and Romans. So that's kind of scrolling, thumbing. That's what you're uh, looking for. John chapter 12, and we're just looking at the first eight verses today. John 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover. So let me just stop right there and make sure we all know where we are. So we're, we're about to read about a dinner party. The next morning will be the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, or what you and I will refer to as Palm Sunday. So this is the night before Palm Sunday. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his hair, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, he said this not because he cared about the poor. But because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, so she, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So as I just said, we're, we're here at a dinner party. Now, it, the, uh, the guest of honor is Jesus. Don't really need to have a special reason to, to host a dinner for Jesus. And the host, the hostesses are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and they don't need a special reason. They would probably put on a dinner for Jesus every week if they could. These are close, close friends of Jesus, very much an inner circle or, or best friend kind of feel. But we are told that there, there is a reason for this dinner, 
for Jesus has just raised Lazarus, and that's what John chapter 11 is all about. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, some, th- some gifts are so special that, that a thank you card just won't cover it, will it? You know, so just, I think we can learn here, if somebody raises you from the dead, maybe go beyond a thank you card and take them to dinner. And, and so they're having this dinner. We've got a good reason for doing it. But I wonder if there's something more going on. And, and, and part of this is because I, I am looking at what Mary did and how Jesus responded to it. I, I'm wondering if they know this will be the last dinner party we have with Jesus. You know, with uh, Jesus raising Lazarus, the Pharisees have come to investigate and, and they're, they're telling people, you better not talk about this. You, be, you better not tell anybody what you saw. As a matter of fact, I stopped reading in verse 8. If you read a little further, you're, you'll see the Pharisees were actually now thinking they were planning on killing Lazarus. You, you can't have a story like this. You can't have a, a, a witness like this running around. But the bottom line is... This story kind of puts it over the top, but the truth of the matter is in Bethany, in Jerusalem, throughout Israel, everybody knows tensions are running hot between Jesus and the Pharisees. And it can't keep moving this way. Things are coming to a head. And maybe that's part of what moves Mary the way she does. So Jesus is, is there reclining, and, and she comes in, and, and with this clearly expensive stuff, anoints his head. I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but Jesus says, hey, she did this for my burial. Now, when I look at what she did, when I hear Jesus' response, a lot of questions kind of come to my mind. You know, Jesus said, you're doing this for my burial, so I'm wondering, did, did Mary know Did she know that this was his burial? Did she know more specifically than what I just guessed might be about to happen? Or or is Jesus just adding a kind of a prophetic significance, a prophetic symbol to what she just did? And and if it's about anointing for his burial, uh, you know, I would think most of us know this. You usually anoint a person after they've died. You know, we usually put things in that order, but he's still very much alive. You also don't anoint the feet for a live person or a dead person. You, you anoint the head. You don't, you don't do anything around the feet. <laughs> feet were, and I'm not just talking about, oh, feet are ugly and feet are stinky. No, the world they lived in took it to a new realm. You know, everybody spent most of a life walking barefooted. By the time you got to be an adult, your, your feet were ugly. I mean, you're, you're walking barefooted, you're walking in open sandals, and, and it's not just that everywhere you go is a dirt road, there's, you, you know, sewage wasn't all handled the way it's handled today. And it's just, feet were nasty. You know, I mean, that, hey, you, have, you have slaves. Slaves clean feet. Now, if you know anything about Mary and her humility, you know she'd be honored to be at the feet of Jesus. She'd be more than proud to be seen as, to be called a slave of Christ, to clean his feet, yea, even to dry him with her own hair. Now, obviously, the, the center of this story, the big thing happening here is this 
anointing oil, this perfume, and, and its expense. Uh, Judas refers to it here as being 300 uh, denarii. Now, how much is that? I want to kind of help us understand the impact of what just happened and how, and how everybody would have felt that. It, I, I think it's more than just saying, hey, here's what that's worth, add inflation, and here's what it's worth today. I, I, I think there's a better way to understand that. So a, a denarii is, or a denarius is one day's wage. That's what the, the, the common working person made uh, one denarius a day. And when I say the common working person, that would be about 80% of Israel was making a denarius a day. And he says 300. Seems kind of like honing in on the cost of this. I don't know if he was just shopping for it the day before or what. But, you know, where does 300 come from? Well, if, if it's 300 denarii, that's 300 working days. Well, in Jewish faith, you would not work on, you would not be paid on the Sabbath. There's 52 Sabbaths in a year. So now you're up to 352. And I could have looked it up, could have done a little deeper research, and I didn't, sorry. But I'm guessing if we go out there and find and look, we're going to find there's probably about 13 other holidays, festivals, religious ceremonies where you wouldn't be working and collecting a wage. So I think he's using this round number of 300 to basically say, that's a year of salary, that, that's a year. That's a year of work that you just dumped out on the, on the floor right there. And so how much is that? Well, if, if you're in America in 2021, the average uh, wage salary for an American last year was $53,800. So what you have happening in this moment is roughly about $54,000 worth of, be- of perfume has just been poured out on Jesus' feet and is now all over the floor. And that's why everybody's losing their mind. Now, notice I said the word everyone. John only talks about Judas. This story is told in all four of the Gospels. And each one of them adds an, you know, an element of what they saw and what they heard. An example would be Matthew 26, verses 1 to 13. That's where Matthew tells this story. And he makes it very clear, yes, Judas, but the whole room. Everybody at the dinner party is going, what? What did, what did you just do? This, this doesn't make any sense. You, 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 can't, uh, you can't afford to do this. So everybody is kind of losing their mind. And wouldn't we all? I mean, I don't think anybody here would want to say Jesus isn't worth it. But when you're looking at it poured all over the floor, it's hard not to say, man, that was a waste. That, that's, that's just a bad financial moment right there. You know, we might wonder, well, where did Mary come up with that? Where did Mary find that? You know, I, I, I don't know of the, the financial means, the, the, the physical means of Mary, Martha, Lazarus. I know that most of Jesus' ministry, that of his and his disciples, was funded by a group of women. There, there's a lot of Marys in there, and, and, in that group, and it is quite possible, quite likely, that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are of some means, and they are a part of a group of people that were funding the, the life and ministry of, of Jesus and the disciples there. I, I don't think they were wealthy by any stretch. The, the bottom line is, wherever she came to have this, we can be assured it was the most valuable thing she had. 
And when I say the most valuable thing, I don't mean like, you know, we could all go home and, and look at, you know, the five, six, seven, ten most valuable things in our house and say, and this one's the most valuable. I'm saying this is the most valuable thing, and second is so far behind it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. This is a possession unlike probably anything that Mary has. And it's not just expensive, it's irreplaceable. Now, I'm, I'm somewhat stating that as I, I can't imagine you just go out and get another one. That, that, that's just not what this is going to happen. So in an incredible, incredible act of love for what Jesus had done for Lazarus, what Jesus had done for her, maybe some insight as to what's going to be happening this week and, and, and the cross, she gives this, this demonstration of love that is so extravagant. And so lavish. And, and Jesus applauds her for it. He applauds her for it. You say, well, wh- where's the applause? Go to Matthew chapter 26, 1 to 13. And he quotes Jesus as saying here, what Mary just did is going to be a story told with the gospel for the rest of time. I would say that's applause. When you take a person's actions and you bring it up to the level of the gospel and say, we're going to talk about this from here on out. And here we are today. 2,000 years later, thousands of miles removed from where this happened, still talking about what Mary did. In this moment here, John has them honing in on on Judas and, and saying, stop it. Stop it. What she's done is right and good, and he applauds her. But then, like I said, this story just leaves me with a lot of, well, how did that work, and what did that look like? And you've got this statement here about the poor. And it sounds almost like he's dismissing the poor, which is a little bit awkward for me, because if you know anything about the teaching of Jesus, if you've read through the Gospels, you know the poor is a big topic with Jesus, like all of the time. He's talking about care for the poor. I mean, you've got Jesus basically saying, do not tell me that you love me if you're not loving and caring for the poor. You know, another place you've got Jesus basically saying, hey, when you stand before God and and, and you're going through your judgment, what you did with the poor is going to be a part of that. So he clearly, repeatedly talks about care for the poor. And yet all of a sudden he's like, oh, you know, they're they're fine. You, You can take care of them later. It just sounds so dismissive, which that could be how you read it, but he's not dismissing them. You know, folks, you and I have more than one thing to do with our money, right? And we have a number of important things. Now, there may be the thing that doesn't mean number two, three, and four aren't important and aren't going to happen. It just means there's a thing that is the thing. And that's what Jesus is saying right here. Yeah, taking care of the poor is one of the things you need to be doing. But loving me extravagantly with your resources, that's the thing. Jesus is a place for extravagance. Now, that's that's my statement. I I wrote that right there. If you want to tweet that, put Randy Hahn said. But now that I've said it, I've got a question about my own statement. Okay, so Jesus is a place for extravagance. I right away want to say, why? I, I thought Jesus had everything. I thought he, I'm the one with need, not him. He has no needs. 
I'm not helping him do something. Why, why would that be a, a place of a, why is he always saying give? Why is he always saying say I love you? Is he lonely? Is, is he, is he going to feel sad? Is he going to feel depressed if I'm not bringing him a gift often and saying I love you often? What, what's going on here? You know, it's, it's, a, it's challenging to understand this because there's no place where in humanity we do this, where we call for love and we call for gifts and it's not actually about us. You see, when Jesus calls for love and calls for gifts, he doesn't have a need. It's it's not that he needs to be told. It's not that he has a need and your gift is going to help. He's calling for this because of your need, because of my need. Folks, our eternity sets on our affection. Our eternity sets on our affection, our hope, our faith, our love And what you have shown, what I have shown, and we join all of humanity in showing is that over and over, time and time again, we let our heart run after the wrong thing. We put our affection on the wrong thing, the wrong person, the wrong idea. Even when we get it right, we can drop what's right and go running right back to what's wrong. And our eternity sets on this. So for our well-being, Jesus says, you've got to discipline your heart. You've got to direct your heart and focus it on me, your well-being. Well, how, how, how do I do that, Jesus? Well, you need to give to me. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it's your heart. It always follows your money. What? Oh, not me, Jesus. Oh, yeah, your heart follows your money. That's the American way of the way Jesus said it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever my money's going, my heart's running right along behind after. Now, you know, I stop and think about that statement. That's not entirely true. Wait a minute, Jesus, I pay taxes. I assure you, I got none of my heart in that. I pay utilities. I love my utilities, but I got no heart in paying for that. Yeah, there are, there are some things we have to do or we're in trouble. Okay. That, yeah, that's not about your heart. When you and I are doing stuff that's, that's just about not getting in trouble, you don't have to have any heart in that. But folks, you and I put money toward people, toward hobbies, towards ideas and passions. And boy, in those places, where our heart really beats for those things, we rarely stop to ask, is this too much? It's how much can I do because I enjoy it. My heart's in this. So our heart absolutely follows our money, and our money is in tow with our heart. Gosh, if it was just about what we love, but, it, but it's even a worse issue. I, I don't just have an issue with loving money. I have an issue of worshiping money. It's a universal issue. And you know, all people, we can worship a multitude of things outside of God. But there's one universal thing for all people that having to do with what you have or don't have. Rich people do it. Poor people do it. Americans do it. People in other economies and governments do it. We worship money. And this is why Jesus taught, listen, you can't have two masters. You're not going to be able to serve both God and Money. You know, Jesus really there, he could have put, you cannot serve God and fill in the blank. Because we fill in the blank with lots of things. He put the one thing that is just universal throughout time and throughout humanity that we tend to serve. 
See, I'm either going to use money to serve and worship Jesus or I'm going to end up worshiping and serving the money. My heart is already too prone to love it. And this is why this scripture is always warning us of this. First Timothy chapter 6, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge. Listen to the language of this. That plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Hebrews 13, keep your life free. Guard it. It's an ongoing work. It's an ongoing discipline. It's not a one-time thing you do. You've got to always be working at keeping your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he himself has said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you high and dry. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm here. Boy, you start looking at Luke 12 and Matthew and Hebrews and Timothy. And boy, you can start to get the idea. Boy, the Bible really has something against money, doesn't it? God, God's really against us having money and using money. Oh, gosh, not at all. Folks, the Bible talks very positively of money and all of the things that we need to do with money. Hey, listen, God enjoys watching you rightly manage, handle, and pay for your bills. You need money to do that. God enjoys watching you provide and care for a family. You need money to do that. Folks, God's not even offended when you use some money to enjoy life. To enjoy some of the things of this world. He's not offended by that. He's not bothered by that. But boy, what he really celebrates, what he even applauds, is when you and I use money to serve and to worship him. When, when we get the, the priorities in the right order of what needs to come first. He's not against money. He just knows our heart's sick relationship with it. And so I've got to discipline that heart through, through obedience, through giving. I've got to discipline that heart so I can, you know what? I guess you could say keep God God. Money is a profound tool, object, to keep God God in my life. And it is, as Mary shows us, all about love. You know, as we, as we think about love this Valentine weekend, whether you've got a Valentine or don't have a Valentine, you'd know what you do if you did have a Valentine. We all have, and maybe we have multiple Valentines. Yeah, parents and my kids and grandkids and mate and all. You got all kinds of Valentines you're sending a card to. But we have a Valentine, all right? And that one, boy, we really want to make sure we take care of. And, and, and like, all joking aside with the NFL, you really don't want to wait just for a special moment you, to show love. You, we, we really do need to be doing that day in and day out, week in and week out. My one little special Valentine, Karen, yeah, every, every, gosh, if not daily, certainly weekly. How am I communicating? How am I giving? How am I serving that love? And, and then when the special things roll by, a holiday or birthday or anniversary or Valentine's, yeah, man, you jump on that special opportunity. You know, when the heart really is beating, when there's a real passion there, you're never asking, okay, what else do I got to do? 
No, it's, hey, how much more can I do? What else can I do? Now, we all understand that. I'm not saying anything unique to me in, in showing love. No, no, we, we, all, we all do that. Well, if I, we do that for one another, why would it be any different with Jesus? As a matter of fact, Jesus actually said, you know, the way you love me should be so much greater than the way you love each other. It should look like you hate each other. What? Is Jesus telling me to hate my mate, my children, and my parents? No, we have way too many verses where Jesus, where God has told us how we're to love our mate and our children and our parents. But it's a comparison, And Jesus is making it very clear. Oh, love them, love them greatly, just like you love and care for the poor. But when you go to measure that, when you go to compare that with how you love me, it should look like you're not even doing anything down here. Well, then then that kind of gives us a yardstick to go by. That gives us a way of of measuring. So if, if I like to do things for Karen regularly, then I ought to be thinking, how do I regularly Serve, give, love Christ. If I jump on the special moments with Karen, then I ought to be thinking, how do I jump on the special moments with Christ? Now, when you use that word regular, I think a lot of us who are, who are maybe we call that, use that word churchgoers. You know, as churchgoers, we know, okay, regular, that's, that's how I regularly give to the Lord as a part of of worship. You know, you give in the service. And regular can be a little tricky word, you know. A lot of us now use a giving app, and regular might be every week. You know, I do one in 15. Imagine a lot of you do. Uh, some of you may be the 30th. You know, you go in there, I want, I want this taken out on the 30th. Others, it may be quarterly. I don't know. So regular can be defined in a variety of ways. But the fact is, a lot of us have a regular way of giving and serving the Lord. We have a, a regular way of disciplining our heart for that. My message today, I'm not really taking time to talk about how much, you know, but I, I, just as we've spent the last five or six weeks building prayers out of God's Word, letting God's Word direct how we pray for a, a family or a church or a nation or ourselves, why would we not go to God's Word to build a budget? And so I just would encourage you, as you're picking an amount, go to God's Word. Let it build for you what you, what you give as an act of love. Karen and I, for the entirety of our marriage, have, have kind of followed the biblical idea of the tithe. And we give that to the, to the budget. We have other things we give to here in our church, outside of the budget, but that's above and beyond the budget. We have things we give to outside of our church but our, our tithe goes there. That's, that's a discipline. And I would encourage you, however you build your amount, build that and then build your budget after that. You know what? That's the act of love. It's not the amount. It's that you commit yourself to an amount and then you build your budget after that. You make the budget adjust to what you're doing for God instead of doing everything you want to in the world and then throwing God something at the end. Don't give on a whim. Give on the discipline of love. And, and just as those special opportunities come by, man, where are special places I can give to the Lord? You know, we don't do a lot of special offerings. That's a church word, isn't it? We don't do a lot of special offerings at the heights. There's kind of different ways to 
approach that. You know, some churches will kind of build a bare bones budget. It pays for the lights. It pays the pastor. It pays, you know, the things we got to pay. But it's just kind of bare bones. And then what they end up doing is they come back throughout the year and they do a special offering for this trip, a special offering for this ministry, and they just kind of fill in as they go. Our budget, we bring you, I wouldn't say more than a full budget. We're not just bringing a budget that pays for all the bills and the ministries. Most of the time, sometimes we point it out, sometimes we don't. But usually our budget has some dreaming in it. Hey, I don't know that we'll do this this year. I don't know that that's what we'll end up trying to take on, but let's prepare for it. Let's budget for it. So we bring a pretty full budget. So you will rarely hear us pointing to a a special offering. We just don't don't usually do that. As a matter of fact, probably 95% of our special offerings in the last 10 years have been for the poor. You know, when we, when we do Lord's Supper on the way out, we take up an offering. That's a benevolence fund to serve and care for poor in our, in our church, in, in our community. We've done Mission Dignity three, four times. That, that, that's a ministry caring for the, the poor. So about all of our special offerings have been for the poor. We don't, we don't really do much else beyond that. When you give to the budget, you're covering the work, the ministry, even the dreaming. That, that, that goes on here at the Heights. So what if this Valentine's, we were to approach this the same way Mary did? Mary had regular ongoing giving to, to provide for and to care for, to fund the work and the ministry of Jesus. We clearly see her jumping on a special moment right here, a special act of giving. What, what if we did that here? Now you think, now pastor, you're talking about a whole lot of money. Where, where's it all going? What's it all being used for? You know, that's a really good question. You should want to know that. So we run a fiscal year here at the Heights, April to March. So you can do the calendaring there. We're coming up on the end of a, a fiscal year. And so we're going to be presenting a new budget. I think the first Sunday in March, when you walk in, you'll, you'll get that budget and you'll see kind of a big picture of, okay, it's going here, it's going here, it's going here, it's going here, here's why, here's why, here's, here's why. And you'll get a, a snapshot of that. Hey, some fun news. Now there's still, what, I guess four or five Sundays to go before we get to the end of the year. But right now we're tracking Y'all, in your love, are giving more than was needed for the budget we're currently in. You've given above and beyond that. And that, y'all, thank, man, clap for yourselves. (laughs) And that is combined with this little fun fact. Your staff has underspent the approved budget. Uh, So when you've got more coming in and less going out, that's, that's a good combination for getting things taken care of and doing some of that that dreaming I'm talking about. We do have a lot of, a lot of money coming in here. I'm going to give, if you're new to our church or maybe just visiting, I'm going to give you some wonderful gossip stuff to talk about this week at work. Um, we, have, we have a lot of money coming in here. Uh, last year, a little over $5.5 million given to the budget of this church. Total giving was a little over $6 million that came in. And uh, that's a lot. That's enough that somebody... In, I think it's fair to say, is anybody minding the store? Who, who's watching over that? Who's, who's watching over the person who's watching over that? You know, that, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good question. Because I, I believe as followers of Christ, boy, it should be above board and it should be clear 
what we're doing. And it's very shameful when ministries get in trouble with how they handle money. So 13 years ago, 13 years ago, we started doing at, at a pretty significant cost. I think we spend $15,000, maybe a little more each year. This isn't a fun thing to know you're giving to, but it's what keeps everything above board. We spend about $15,000, $20,000 a year doing uh, having a, 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 an independent agency come in and do an audit of all that we do. Now, an audit is just not making sure our numbers add up. They're auditing our numbers, they're auditing our security, they're auditing our software, they're auditing our processes. How does somebody decide they're going to spend money? Who justifies that that's the money that needs to be spent? Who's signing checks? How's that then being covered? How's that then being answered for it? Who's checking to see that money is being spent on what we said it was going to be spent for? All of that is audited. And for 13 years in a row, we've gotten an unqualified report. That's an accounting term that means when they were all done, they said, there's nothing you need to fix. There's nothing you need to do differently. Now, whenever you pay people like that, they feel like they have to say something, right? So they'll, they'll give us recommendations, and we'll weigh recommendations. The finance committee will look at those recommendations. And, and if there's some that we don't take, we go back to them and say, hey, here's why that's probably, in our context, not going to be a good recommendation. But, but we work through all that. And, you know, I'm proud to tell you that. And, and, and here's why I'm, I'm proud to tell you that. Because while I know in this moment I'm looked at as the chief money asker, right? But you know what else I am? I'm a member of the Heights Baptist Church. Just like you. I'm a member of this church. And I give what I feel like for Karen and I is a significant amount of money. And no different than you do I want to find out that it was wasted, that it was abused, that we set up some system where it could be stolen. Man, I, I don't want that any more than, than you do. They, they, my, my money's being thrown into the pot just like yours. So that's why I'm proud to tell you about that. We run with about as fine of an integrity and business principles as any business out there would want to have. So you're, I throw that in there. You come in here in a couple of weeks, you're going, to get a, you're going to get a budget. You're going to see what money's being used for. And, and I think March 16th, a little over a month from now, we'll have a business meeting and we'll vote on that together. So that's what regular giving would go to. And then we have special, a special. I just said we don't do that a whole bunch, but let's do it. You got, I think a lot of you got on the way in. If you didn't, you can get one on the way out if you're interested. This little card, my gift of love. And up at the top, it talks about what you do as, as a regular. By the way, this is for you. This is a tool. Uh, you're not turning it in. You're not giving it to anybody. This is for you and the Lord, you and your family. But I would encourage you, I just think it's an act of commitment to fill it out. To put in that blank, here's what I, we are going to do every month, every week, every whatever, however you're going to do that. And then you come down and on Palm Sunday, why Palm Sunday? Because that's when Mary did it. You know, hey, we, we got four, five, six weeks moved by my Valentine, Jesus Christ. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about what can I, what can we do? Karen and I haven't talked about this, haven't prayed about it, we haven't done anything, but I've got a month now to, to think about, hey, if we, what if we did something like Mary? Extravagant, lavish, what if we did something, boy, we're going to fill it the rest of the year. It's going it's to impact what we can do the rest of this year. 
And we're, we're going to join our church family, and on, on Palm Sunday, we're going to come in, and we're going, to, we're going to bring a special gift. Now, what would we do with that? Well, here's a little breakdown, a recommendation. 40%, not, not half, but 40% to the new budget. You say, wait a minute, I just thought all the regular giving is what took care of the, the new budget. Well, remember, all the work we do here is taken care of in the budget. When, you, when you're giving to the budget, you're making the work of the kingdom that happens in and through and with the Heights Baptist Church, you're taking care of that. And that's, a, that's just a good way to get us off to a good start with a new budget year. Also, as we go into summer, which tends to be a little bit more challenging, like our youth, our youth and our children's ministry spend about 80, 90% of their whole budget during the summer. And you can probably look at the calendar and figure out why that is. But that gets us up and running. It's a good start. And then for 60% of it, How about these three things? 20% to the poor. Because Jesus is going to judge that. And I want to be found faithful to love what he loves, to care what he cares about. Uh, We Again, mission dignity and benevolence is a reference to what we do with our own family here that finds itself at different times in a time of of need or or a problem, people in our community. Mission dignity, I don't want to take a whole lot of time on this because I've explained this several times. They're a ministry we partner with that cares for retired pastors. Sounds like I have maybe like a dog in the fight, right? These are retired pastors that are living below the poverty line. And I've talked in the past about why that can happen with with some of these pastors. But they have to have been in ministry over 20 years. They have to be over retirement age. uh, And they they are the the process of becoming a, a recipient of mission dignity is stringent and highly accountable, to say the least. Uh, they are truly deserving and worthy, and that has all been proved out and bared out when, they, when Mission Dignity picks up one of these pastors and gives very significant help to them. You, you know, I, every time our church does a, a, an offering for Mission Dignity, and I've come in here and said, hey, let's do an offering for, for Mission Dignity today, and y'all give like $25,000 right on the spot. I mean, y'all are incredible. You've done that like three or four times. Um, and I always give to that. But, but Karen and I actually, I think we've been doing this for like five or six years now. I give directly to Mission Dignity every, every month. And do you know why? Because we want the discipline of constantly giving, regularly giving to the poor. And I just love what Mission Dignity does and the, the confidence that, hey, I'm doing something there that's good and that's going to make a difference. So anyway, we'll, whatever we bring that day, we'll 20% to the poor, 20% to mission work. And I've been saying for the last half hour, our budget covers everything except missions. Well, no, it does cover missions. Well, yeah, no, it doesn't. Well, okay, it does both. <laughs> there are things in our budget, like our cooperative program giving, what we give to fund Southern Baptist missions, that's in the budget. A lot of what we do here as a church, our work with Haiti, Nicaragua, Zimbabwe, uh, Ukraine, uh, a lot of that is the, the funding that we take up in here is how we fund those. Sometimes that'll help get people on trips or help make it easier for people to go on trips, but the big share of that actually actually goes directly to the field and whatever ministry, missionary that we're working with and the things they need to do their work. So again, kind of at the beginning of a new year, it just kind of infuses that budget. Well, a lot of you probably have seen when you go to our giving app, it says budget, building, and missions. 
And, and so like Karen and I give some, our tithe to the, to the budget. And then we have another amount that we give to missions every single month to fund that. But a lot of that comes in kind of like in nickels and dimes. It's, it's fives and tens. And so, man, an offering like this could really infuse us to do some exciting things uh, out there in the world, both in our community and around the world. And then 20%, lastly, to debt retirement. Do you know debt is something we never ever talk about it. I doubt we've talked about it in 10 plus years, uh, at least in, in a setting like this. Um, interesting story with our debt. And again, it's managed in the budget. We have debt and it's, it's managed in the budget. So we came in here in 2008, 13 years ago. This is a, a $26, $27 million facility and property. And uh, when we moved in, we had about a $14.2 million debt. You say, wow, you covered the other 12. Yes, through the sale of our property and through incredible, sacrificial, faithful giving of the church of that time. Some of you were a part of that. Many of you were a part of that. You know, and that's always a good reminder, folks. When I look around and I'm in church and I'm enjoying this church and I'm enjoying what it is for me, for my family, for my friends, I'm doing that on the backs of somebody else. Somebody else who gave, somebody else who built, somebody else who did this so that I could have that today. So yeah, about 12 million was, was covered. We moved in and like the day we moved in, like 15 seconds later, we started building again. And we added on to our children's wing and I don't even remember how much that was. I, I, it was over 3 million. It wasn't four, was it Mike? But it was over three Thank you. Uh, Mike is our, our business executive pastor over there that, that's going, nope, that's wrong. Yep, that's right. Yeah, so over $3 million. Well, when that was all done, we ended up with about $1.8 million debt. So $1.8, $14.2. We're just a smidge under $16 million. <laughs> You know, for some people, that's a lot of money. Uh, and, and so there, there we were. Now, Both of those loans are in our budget. They're being managed. They're being knocked down. But with that small loan, boy, we really wanted to attack that. We really wanted to go out. And we did. And so, as a matter of fact, we had two years in a row where we didn't even make budget. Our our, our giving came in under what was budget. Now, it was a negligible amount. It didn't affect really anything. But it was under. But both of those years, we made an extra half-million-dollar payment to our loan. So that's how your staff is managing that, that whatever we manage based on what comes in and we can still do a lot if even less comes in. So we, we were able to knock that loan out, get it out of the way. And so then we just had the big one. Now, it, you know, it was fun knocking that little one out. The problem with the big one is it's just so big. And, and so when you do a little extra, like, that's real money going out the door, and you think, boy, we could have done this, we could have done this, we could have done this. And when it lands there on that debt, you don't really feel the benefit of that right away, do you? And so it's like, uh, yeah, let's just wait on that. <laughs> so we have managed the debt and got it down to a place where it's, it's at $8.4 million now. And, uh, but you know what, folks? It's always good to knock down debt. It's always good to be free of that and to do what we can. And you know what? The faster we knock that down, the more we're providing for a church in the future. Just like a church back there provided for us today. And so, I, again, I don't know what's coming in, but 
What if we were for the first time on that big budget, not only manage the, you know, what I'm talking about here is just like your mortgage payment. You got principal, you got interest, and then maybe you try to make an extra payment. Just knock that thing down as fast as we can. Now, you you say, well, what is the the goal? We don't have a goal. I don't know what. I have no idea what's coming in on that day. A hundred grand? A million? I don't know what will happen on that day. My only prayer is that You and I as individuals and we as a church are extravagant and lavish. What what would it mean? I'd be honest with you, I don't fully know. What would it mean to have Jesus stop and applaud? You know, I don't know fully what that means, but I look forward to finding out. And I don't want to say, oh, I wish I'd have done that. (laughs) And here's the crazy thing. He doesn't need it. It's your heart and it's my heart that needs this opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today so, so blessed in who you are, all that you are, everything that you've been for us and done for us at the cross and so many things beyond the cross. Lord, I am confident that many would join me in saying I'm I'm thankful for this church, what it means to me as a person, what it means to us as a family, the opportunities it's given me to serve you, Lord, here in our area and around the world. Father, we love you. And there's a lot of ways that we can show that love. There are some ways that are very important for the discipline of our heart. Lord, I pray we would hear your words and we would believe your words. Boy, I pray every single one of us, because we're all part of the same family, together are individually thinking about what we need to do regularly. And Lord, as we take time over these next several weeks to think about what we might do that week leading up to Palm Sunday. Lord, I, I just pray it's awesome. May it be something you would applaud and we receive the blessing of your applause. Lord, as we each seek to be careful and sacrificial and disciplined in our giving, I always play this place as right and true and filled with integrity and does what is right and good with every single penny for your glory and honor, for the advancing of your kingdom. Oh, Lord, I can say this based on history. We're going to give and we're going to give a lot. May it be pleasing unto you. And may you multiply it to do a great work in us and through us, in our community and around our world. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.